welcome to a daytime version of our live stream talking about the Trucker Commission. Eva, great to see you again. How you doing? Oh, nice to see you. Nice to be home. A little bit tired, but uh, just the beginning, I think. Yeah, well, we just wrapped up the public hearings, as in the sworn witnesses and the subpoenaed documents and the cross-examinations, but the Trucker Commission is not yet done. There's going to be a public policy phase and and other things, but the drama uh, of the last month has come to a close. Eva, you were one of a number of lawyers from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedom and other freedom-oriented groups, including our friends at the Democracy Fund. Um, how long was it? I mean, you were out there, uh, half of the civil liberties lawyers in Canada, by which I mean Democracy Fund, JCCF, Canadian Constitution Foundation, and even the liberals at the Canadian Civil Liberties Association finally thought they'd wrap up their two-year vacation and uh, and engage in the freedom file, thankfully. Uh, tell me what it was like actually being a lawyer associated with the commission. You were granted standing. You were given access, early access to privileged documents. You were given interactions with the judge. And of course, you cross-examined witnesses. What was it like? Uh, I don't know where to start. I, I can't believe it's all come to an end. It feels like it, it just started and then it it was just a daily grind. It was 31 days nonstop of evidence. And, you know, when we are having long days like we did, and then you're still preparing for the next day. And, of course, my clients were a, a huge focal point in all of this. Um, the protesters, the reason uh, everything came to head as these protesters came to Ottawa to hear from their federal government, and we know how the federal government responded. So this was all about whether or not this was justified. Um, you asked a few questions in, in quickly in the intro, and I, you know, getting all these documents, like you said, we did. But the the way this was set up and how quickly this all transpired, it was hard almost to assess everything that was happening as it was happening. I think I'll be decompressing and we're all going to be thinking about this for months and possibly years to come. Hmm. Um, let me ask you, do you think it was, I mean, we, we'll, we'll see what the report says. We'll see what the judge's findings are and what any recommendations are. So, of course, we don't know how it's going to end. I mean, it, it could go a number of ways. But the process itself is an outcome, a sort of outcome, having police answer questions under oath. And I think generally the police told the truth, having politicians under oath. And I frankly think generally the politicians lied. I'm sorry. I just that's just what it looked like to me. Lied or at least uh, evaded, avoided, um, talked out the clock. I suppose that's different than lying, but there was lying too. I think in general, the process was positive and anyone who looked at it uh, directly or through the filter of rebel news or other freedom oriented groups probably learned a lot, but there really are two solitudes reading the coverage in the Toronto star or the CBC or global news, which has just become the worst media outlet in the country. It's hard to believe. Um, they're engaging in revisionist history of the trucker commission just like they yeah. engaged in revisionist history of the trucker convoy itself. So although I think the trucker commission was very useful, if your only source of info about it was the Toronto Star or Global News, you remain in the dark about what was really happening. That's my thoughts. What do you think? 
Yeah, no, it's unfortunately still the same. Um, people are watching two different movies, and that's how it was since the beginning of the protest in Ottawa. Truckers going to Ottawa, if you looked at some of those um, mainstream media outlets you were talking about versus social media, it was a completely different story. And then it's unfortunately still the same. So what we've learned, I hope, is that you really need to get first-hand information, number one, be way more involved, be way more active, really investigate things for yourself. And I really hope at least that is something that people have learned throughout the process. And it, I, I agree with you very much. It was really interesting to see um, the police give evidence and also senior officials. So not the politicians, but senior levels in government, at least on a municipal scale, it was quite different to see what they had to say. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, uh, we have a half dozen clips of your own involvement, and I'd like to show that. Uh, like I say, you were granted standing, uh, you and other civil liberties lawyers. So there were a lot of lawyers there, and sometimes the cross-examination of politicians or police was, you know, you had five minutes or ten minutes. And frankly, <laughs> you ask one question for a minute. <laughs> Every politician worth their salt can give a four-minute evasive maneuver. Um, let's let's go through. We've got a, we've got a half dozen clips. Let's just belt through them. The first one was when you were asking Justin Trudeau, the prime minister. That must have been exciting. First of all, that you you uh, not every lawyer had a chance to have a go at Trudeau. You asked him. I think questions. I mean, you sort of knew he was just going to duck speak his way through things. So you put more thematic questions, less sort of legal cross-examine things. Here, let's show the first clip and I'll show people what I mean. People have testified in this inquiry referencing your widely published comments and calling the unvaccinated racists and misogynists. And we have heard testimony in this inquiry about how some of your officials wanted to label protesters as terrorists. Would you agree with me that one of the most important roles of a prime minister is to unite Canadians and not divide them by engaging in name calling. Uh, I did not call people who were unvaccinated names. I highlighted there is a difference between people who are hesitant to get vaccinated for any range of reasons and people who deliberately spread misinformation that puts at risk the life and health of their fellow Canadians. And well, my focus every step of the way and the well, primary responsibility of a prime minister is to keep Canadians safe and alive. I'm not sure if the primary job of the prime minister is to keep me alive. I think if that was his job, I'd be dead by now. Um, he's really not good for much. Uh, even being a substitute drama teacher, he didn't finish his full term. Um, he's a wicked liar. Of course he called people names in English and in French. Uh, he even said, should we tolerate them? I, um, I think you've got to be a bit of a sociopath to tell a bald-faced lie like that. Uh, your next one, again, it... it it didn't go to the technical legal matters of the Emergency Act, but I think it, it summed up um, their insane response to, oh, my God, working class people, they're so grubby and dirty. Maybe they have guns in their trucks. 
uh, deploy the tanks. These people, you know, here in King's Landing, we only have sophisticated people with fine silk suits and expense accounts for lunch. Here come the Walmart people. Here come the gun-owning people. Uh, the peasants are storming the capital. Um, you know, Trudeau despises ordinary people. He's a, a, an elite son of an elite son of an elite. Um, three generations since the last Trudeau actually worked for a living. And here's your question. Why are you so afraid of people? Here, take a look. Minister Blair, Public Safety Minister, Minister Mendicino, National Security Intelligence Advisor Jody Thomas, and RCMP Commissioner Brenda Lucky, and today you testified that the federal government was committed to exhausting all alternatives to a resolution prior to making a decision to invoke the extraordinary powers of the Emergencies Act. Do you agree that that accurately describes your government's position? that the invocation of the Emergencies Act was a measure of last resort, was not something to be taken lightly. Thank you. And something to do when, when uh, other options uh, were not effective. And you are aware that the OPP, along with others, developed an engagement proposal, and you were advised of that proposal at the IRG meeting on February 12th, correct? Um, it was a proposal, but we had, and it was presented to us, we had more questions uh, about uh, how it would actually work. Uh, there, it was not a complete proposal. My last question, Mr. Prime Minister, when did you and your government start to become so afraid of your own citizens? That's a very I unfair. I am not, and we are not. Those are my questions. I think he is. Uh, I think he is afraid of people. He deployed. They, they talked about deploying the army. They, they talked about tanks. They deployed hundreds, maybe thousands, of riot police. They stomped people with riot horses. They invoked martial law for the first time in fifty years. Of course, he was afraid of people. I think he was actually more, to be precise, he was afraid of what the people were doing. Uh, that they were politically finding their voice. I don't think he was afraid of them physically. I don't think he was afraid of them. You know. Um, as a danger to sovereignty. Like like the Emergencies Act is built for when the prime minister is afraid. Are you afraid of danger to groups of people? Are you afraid of revolution? It is uh, for prime ministers who are afraid for the country. I don't think Justin Trudeau was actually afraid for the country. I don't think he was afraid of an insurrection. He was afraid that these working class people were embarrassing him because they weren't obeying him. So he was afraid of losing face, not afraid of them. I very much agree. And his own evidence says that. He said there was a threat or a potential for the violence. Mm. So he confirmed in his own evidence there was no violence. There was a potential for it. Of course, there's a potential for violence any day, any anywhere you are. And then if you heard Christia Freeland's evidence too, somebody was mean to her. They weren't violent towards her. Yeah. They said mean things to her and maybe an expletive um, body language. And it was a woman trucker all, all, in addition. Yeah. So um, when you hear the evidence that they were giving, it goes exactly to your point. There, it, it was the, an embarrassment for them more so and a threat of um, losing control, which they did. Yeah. Clearly. You know, I want to get through a few more clips. You had some great little exchanges with him. Here's one <laughs> where Trudeau says, I wish I would have done more. Well, what more was there? I mean, he actually shot our reporter, um, Alexa Lavoie. His bodyguards physically beat up our other reporter, David Menzies. Uh, I mean, the only thing that they did not do was actually deploy the tank, though they certainly seem to talk about the Canadian Armed Forces a lot. Let's play clip number three. 
you have now heard the statements from some of the many concerned Canadians who felt compelled to support the protesters. Do you now understand the reason so many Canadians came to Ottawa with such resolve in the midst of a harsh, cold Canadian winter because of the harms caused by your government COVID mandates and they wanted to be heard? I am moved, uh, and I was moved, as I heard uh, these testimonies, as I saw the depth of um, hurt and anxiety about the present and the future expressed by so many people. The COVID pandemic was unbelievably difficult on all Canadians. And my job throughout this pandemic was to keep Canadians safe. And the way that I chose to do that was to lean on public health officials, lean on experts and science on the best way to keep Canadians safe. And because Canadians got vaccinated to over 80%, we had fewer deaths in Canada than places that didn't reach that. And every heartbreaking story I hear of a family who sat beside the bed of a loved one dying because they had believed that the vaccines were more dangerous than the disease, I take personally because I wish I could have done more and, and to I convince don't people to, to, to get off. vaccinated. I wish I could have done more to save lives. I saved so many lives. Of course, that doesn't talk to the use of the martial law. I don't know if martial law <laughs> would save one life. I, I don't know if it would save any lives. I think, um, you know, you could shoot more people more easily. You can deploy more guns. Um, I, I think he's a sociopath. Um, I don't know. What, what did he make of him? He's got that, when he starts talking, his sexy voice. And he hopes that people can feel the raw emotion of the substitute drama teacher. And this is an opportunity for us to all reflect on being women respecters and respecting visible minorities. And this is an opportunity for you to learn not to wear blackface. This is an opportunity for you to learn not to grope Rose Knight in Creston, BC. This is really an opportunity for all Canadians to improve themselves. Like, like he just gets in this drama teacher mode and he changes from being the decider who made a terrible decision to like some third party observer as if he's not the central decider. He has this really gross way of doing things and it seems to work. For seven years he's skated. I'm worried, Ava. Is it Ava or Eva? I, I like saying Ava, but how do you say it? It's Eva. Eva. Sorry about that. <laughs> Eva, um, I'm worried he's going to skate. I'm worried that... that dramatic thespian voice of his and the the media party they just they're lapping it up i i'm worried that no matter what the judge is i think the judge is going to say he had no legal basis for it i think the judge unless this judge is so completely in the tank for trudeau there simply was no evidence that this met the the legal requirement from marshall just there was none there was none, none. every none. cop every every person who knows security, like there was no security threat. There were no violence threats. There was just none of it. The, all he has was, well, there was a potential. I don't think 
the judge is going to come back with anything other than there was no legal basis for it. But I think Trudeau's going to skate because he's going to roll out his heartfelt message track like he just did there, Ava. Yeah, I don't know what to say about that. It Like watching it back now, um, I didn't imagine that he would go on a tangent like that, but I guess I should have seen it coming. What else was he going to say? And and we knew that this was just for him. To, he was going to be trying to score political points. Like it wasn't going to be about the law because that's not something that he's really qualified to speak on anyway. Um, but I do hope that the commission, like we were talking about earlier, is an opportunity to for people to see firsthand what was going on. And maybe they can start to see the disconnect between this government and what they're doing and their talking points and reality. It was very much um, fiction over facts, in my opinion. Feelings over facts is what we learned the reasons behind invoking the Emergencies Act. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, most of the media in this country is very feelings oriented, and they're feeling grateful to Trudeau for bailing out their failing TV stations, radio stations, and newspapers. So uh, they're all about feelings also, and and Trudeau makes them feel warm and fuzzy. Eva, I'm grateful to you and your fellow lawyers. There was some great lawyering done. I really believe that if the freedom lawyers that you and the rest of the team from the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms, if the freedom lawyers and the Democracy Fund were not there, this would have been a very, very different commission. Um, it really would have not had so many important interactions with with the, the, the national security deep state, which is very rarely subjected to scrutiny. So on behalf of Canadians, let me thank you and your team for that. Eva, great to catch up with you. And thanks for joining our live stream so many uh, days over the last month as you and the rest of your team did. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. It was great to be on and getting the truth out. So happy to and so happy to be part of the team. Right on. Well, thank you for that. We're going to take a short commercial break and we'll be back with our chief reporter, Sheila Gunn-Reed. Eva, great to see you again. Thank you. Thanks so much. All right. The collective of many diverse groups across, can across the country. The protest in Ottawa brought so many Canadians from all different walks of life together. It was an opportunity for reconciliation, for uni uniting and forging friendships despite so many differences. The protest in Ottawa gave people hope and it humbled all of us. What we saw in Ottawa is emblematic of what it means to be Canadian. And that is what terrifies the current government of Canada. Yes, there was honking and diesel and noise and that was not only challenging for residents in Ottawa, but also for protesters. But the protesters were not extremists or terrorists. They are fellow Canadians, neighbors, and each person is the thread that holds us together in a peaceful and loving society. We have all suffered in our own unique way because of the pandemic, the virus, the sickness, the lockdowns, the job losses, loss of livelihood, the mandates, and mental health. On the first day of this public order emergency inquiry, Commissioner Rouleau, you said uncovering the truth is an important goal. When difficult events occurred that impact the lives of Canadians, the public has the right to know what happened. Cet l'objectif 
after l'enquête publique. So the call of this government and public inquiry is to shed a light on this situation which occurred and to make recommendations so that this situation will not occur again. Let this inquiry be the starting point for all Canadians. And that means all Canadians, including government leaders, to hold the executive branch of Canada to account. If there ever was a time for a prime minister to step down, now is that time. Yeah, of course, Trudeau will not step down. Why would he? Why would he step down now? He's never stepped down anything before. He's been convicted multiple times of violating the Conflict of Interest Act, the first prime minister ever. But why would he step down? He doesn't believe in stepping down. He's not really a liberal in the uh, traditional term of that. That's just the name of his party that he wins. Sheila, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm sort of happy that the testimony is all over, you know, trying to sift through the lies can be exhausting, but I'm so proud of our team for how hard they worked to fact check some of these snakes in real time. Yeah. Uh, now, you covered it probably more than anyone other than um, William diaz Berthiom, who's based in Ottawa. So he's right there. This was the circus coming to his town. We had a number of re reporters who cycled through our Airbnb pop-up studio, which was super fun. You covered it from out there, but mainly you covered it from your home. Because one of the things I'll, I'll salute this commission for doing, they really made it easy for people around yeah. the country, indeed around the world, to follow. Uh, I've actually never seen a public proceeding that was so citizen-friendly. Documents were made available online. The video was live streamed, French, English, like you could show up and be in the room, but frankly, there was no need to. And in fact, there were some times when the, the physical room wasn't even full, beca not because there was no interest in this, but because people could cover this from the comfort of their own offices or, or homes, right? Yeah. And I think the public nature of all of this is really doing a number on the mainstream media, as though the convoy didn't do a number on the credibility of the mainstream media to begin with, right? Um, they couldn't come out of their office towers to talk to the truckers that were in Ottawa to find out why they came there, so they just sort of made it up as they went. And I think the fact that this was live streamed in real time in both languages, the documents, as soon as the lawyers were discussing them, became available for you to leaf through. You could see how the media was purposefully twisting testimony again in real time. I would see the tweets the mainstream media were sending out and realizing, no, I'm, I'm literally watching the same proceedings and they're taking things out of context, but people didn't even have to believe me and my tweets this time. They could see for themselves just how much of a bunch of liars the mainstream media are. Yeah, you know what? And that's what, that's how we succeeded. Rebel News, I think really it was our, our finest hour covering the trucker convoy. We had more eyeballs on that than anything else we've ever done. And it was simply because we turned our cameras on and pointed. And I mean, I, I was in Ottawa for only a few days. I was most of my time at our head office. But we had teams, I think in particular, Alexa Lavoie, and Lincoln J, 23 days straight, just walking the streets with extra batteries in their phone, just live streaming. And sometimes it was sort of boring, but sometimes it was extremely exciting. But what it never was, was filtered. And so you literally felt like you were there. Uh, I remember watching our people encounter these whimsical East Berlin style police check stops every corner. 
and filming their interactions. Oh boy, was I mad. Sometimes I would call into the reporter also if I felt <laughs> they, were, they were being legally roughed up. But the reason I could do that is I knew exactly what was going on. I had a personal interest because it was our reporters, our company, but millions of people had a public interest and they were following along too. And it's interesting that when foreign news uh, outlets wanted to know what was going on, sure, the propagandists called up CBC, of course. But so many, and I'm not just talking about right-wing media like Fox News, like no, Deutsche Welle. Deutsche Welle, as the name sounds, it's a German, it's actually a state mm -hmm. uh, broadcaster, if you can believe it. Why would a state broadcaster in Germany, why would Sky News in Australia, why would... Um, yeah, I, I think I, Alexa did the French language state broadcaster also, if I recall correctly. Good memory. There's so many I can't even keep track. But why would they? I, I mean, there was this great one of Lincoln just standing in the street, you know, with this toque on because it was so cold, live, live broadcasting from the street. Well, that gives you the answer why. Because even if Lincoln is not as seasoned a journalist as some of these superannuated, you know, regime journalists at the CBC... He actually was standing there. He actually mm. wasn't hiding under his desk in his uh, tower. Oh, my God, the peasants are coming. The peasants are revolting. Oh, they most certainly are. The truckers are revolting. Oh, they certainly are revolting. You know, I mean, the, this, I, I, I watched too much of that show called Game of Thrones, and the name of their capital city was King's Landing. And it was a squalid, corrupt, incestuous capital. And, and that's what the good denizens of Ottawa felt like when these revolting truckers, how dare they? Can't you keep your protest out, out in the colonies? Why are you coming to King's Landing? You know, that's what it was like. And, yep. uh, and you, you know, the very first day of the commission, you had this low-level government bureaucrat named Zexy Lee who was – who was talking about all the microaggressions that I worked for the government and there was these truckers and they honked and I really felt like I was assaulted. Oh my God, Zexy, were you assaulted? No, but I sort of felt like it. Well, did anyone touch yeah. you? No. Well, were you afraid to go on the streets? Well, no, actually I spent a lot of time out there and took a lot of photos and filmed them and talked to people, but I was terrified. Yeah. Oh, so you just thought they were low class because they were truckers, not someone with a fancy government unionized, uh, you know, desk job doing IT for Services Canada or whatever her job was. Like, it, it was such a classism. Thank there. you. How dare you, don't, A, know your place. B, don't you know that your job is to listen to the media, not be citizen media? Yeah. And how dare you honk your horns at us? Sure, yeah. we have locked you in your homes for two years. And now we're banning you from cross-border travel, which is necessary for the truckers. By the way, we saw a minute ago Justin Trudeau lying about 80% vaccinations. I thought he said it was 90%. He's changing his numbers now. But we know that Christian Freeland, in her notes, right. said with truckers it was less than 50%. So they're lying. They're lying to you to try and make you feel like everyone's on board with this. Oh, how dare you honk your horn? You honk your horn at me? I mean, I locked you in your house. I banned you from cross-border travel. I banned you from taking airplanes or trains or boats in the second largest country in the world. I banned you from the public square. I banned you from restaurants, gyms, and stores. But how dare you honk your horn, sir? Do you not know who I am, sir? I am Zexy Lee. 
was actually what who are you well i'm a 23 year old who works for the government and i didn't like the honking not one bit sir yeah okay well better throw the whole country into martial law because actually lee heard a horn honk yeah she heard a horn honk people where's your sense of compassion yeah you know that that line of classism and bigotry runs through all of this They want those Westerners that came to their fancy city to just stay away. They didn't like their trucks. They didn't want to have to look at their trucks or the things that the blue-collar people do for fun, like have street parties, play hockey, and have hot tubs. That grossed them out. What a boring city. But also, uh, we saw in testimony, and then it was supported in some documents that Blacklocks published today, that they were really worried about having useful people within the convoy. And what I mean by that is they were frightened at the sheer number of CAF, Canadian Armed Forces, active members and former members that were in the convoy. They were sort of worried about this insurrection, which seems like absolute bigotry, assuming that because you were in the CAF, you're inherently um, violent by nature. But they couldn't get their heads around the fact that these people who are willing to fight and die in a uniform with our flag on it, would go to Ottawa to defend freedom here. Yeah, you know what? Um, if you if you compare the hatred and fear that Trudeau had for our veterans with how he describes the people our veterans were fighting, I, if you, how Trudeau oh. talks about ISIS terrorists coming back to Canada. Mary, so much- sorry, Ezra, to interrupt you. Mary Montsef, the now former MP for Peterborough, she described them as her brothers, the Taliban. Remember, yeah. they were her brothers. Yeah. But our veterans are potential insurrectionists. Give me a break. Yeah. Um, you know, they despise the military, except for as a PR. I was just looking today. I mean, Trudeau was announcing billions more for foreign militaries in the Indo-Pacific. He can't just he can't do a foreign trip without spraying our money around. Uh, he's given who knows how much to the Ukrainian army but when it comes to canadian soldiers um they're asking for more than he can give um it it really is an eye-opener i um there was i think my if i had to name my favorite moment or least favorite moment in the in the whole commissioner inquiry uh it's clip number seven and this trudeau does this sometimes when he's had too much to to think and by himself without i mean he's used to having a script writer around i mean he's a he's a actor i mean sometimes we think that actors are the personality they play in a movie forgetting that no actors just read a script i mean occasionally some brilliant actors might ad lib especially comedians they might ad lib some great movies are done that way but um generally actors are uh, as hitchcock said like cattle and they just do exactly what they're told which is why you know the editor and the the script writer and the producer are so important um Trudeau is like that. Yes. Gerald Butts writes a script for him. Katie Telford writes a script for him. He's very good at memorizing a few lines. Um, but whenever he, ha- but if you could ever get him to think about something new he hasn't been briefed on, then he so- says something really dumb. Like, remember that question, I guess it was eight years ago now, what country do you most admire? There was no way he had ever been asked that before in a formal setting. So he actually thought about it and said, well, China because of their basic dictatorship verbatim that's what he said so there's an actor free freelancing without a script and that same thing happened this is clip number seven when he started thinking in a way that had not been 
gamed out by his handlers. And he says, and he starts thinking, yeah, well, maybe, maybe you shouldn't really be allowed to protest if, if you're trying to change the world. This is, and then, and then he says, did, oh, and then there was a little, an alarm clock that went off in his head. Ring, 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 ring. You stepped in it. You stepped in it. Alert, alert, alert. Or maybe, who knows, maybe he actually yep. had an earpiece in it. And he started walked it back like he did with the original China quote. Here, take a look at clip number seven. But in terms of uh, responding to their demands uh, or, or legitimizing them by engaging, I'm highlighting that I'm worried about setting a precedent uh, that a blockade on Wellington Street can, can lead to changing public policy. People need to be heard, uh, but we need to get that balance right. Uh, and then uh, she agreed that I need to be cautious and I don't want to set any bad precedents. Okay, so fairly self-explanatory. There's, there's a a willingness to to discuss, but you, you were concerned about setting a precedent where uh, a blockade could equal a, a, a change in public policy. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, I think we, we have uh, a robust functioning democracy and uh, protests, public protests are an important part of making sure we're getting messages out there and Canadians are getting messages out there and highlighting how they feel about various issues. Uh, but using protests to demand uh, changes to public policy um, is something that, that I think is, is, is worrisome. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Although, Kurt. sorry, to a certain extent. No, no, extent, please go on. Yeah, you know, protests, if you're out protesting that the government is, you know, shutting down a, a safe injection site or something, you are asking for changes in, in public policy. But there is a difference between uh, occupations uh, and, and, you know, saying we're not going until this has changed uh, in a way that is massively disruptive uh, and potentially dangerous uh, versus just saying, yeah, we're protesting because we want, uh, we want public policy to change and we're trying to convince people to get enough of them that politicians will listen to enough people saying, okay, uh, I'm going to lose votes if I don't change this. Uh, that's the usual way uh, protests uh, uh, can be effective in, in our democracies. I don't think I've ever seen Justin Trudeau condemn a protest from the left that's being disruptive. Black Lives Matter, I don't know more. The Tamil Tigers, Greenpeace and other eco-radicals against forestry, against um, the seal hunt, against pipelines, against LNG. I don't think I've ever in my entire life seen Justin Trudeau speak out against a left-wing protest, disruptive or not shutting down the railroads in this country. In fact, they literally sent negotiators to negotiate with the Wet'suwet'en um, false tribal leaders, not the real ones. Mm -hmm. um, there is no protest on the left that Trudeau won't bend the knee to. And he realizes that he sort of stepped in it there where he says, right. oh, you know, if you're, if you're protesting to change public policy and then something said, oh, but we do that too. And he tried to draw a distinction. They tried to mop it up later, didn't he? Yeah, but he made it worse. Because then he hinted that it's not just all protests that try to change public policy that are the problem. It's just your protests that try to change public policy that are the problem. He said it's perfectly fine to protest the closing of a safe injection site where people poison themselves into a slow death. But it, he used a word occupation there. He said an occupation is not acceptable. Now, I don't know about you, Ezra, but I am old enough to remember when he met with Chief Chicken Noodle, Teresa Spence, who was occupying a park in Ottawa, <laughs> yeah, and she right. was lobbying to change 
public policy. In fact, she was lobbying for an end to a law that would have brought accountability to her reserve that she was driving into the ground between her and her sticky fingered boyfriend at the time. Um, and he met with her. He went into the occupation site, went right. inside of her teepee. Right. And I don't know if they ate chicken noodle soup together or what went on in there, but he made it a, and he invited the media right. to join him when he went to meet with her. And he basically said, why isn't Stephen Harper meeting with her? And and she was running her reserve out of Wapiscat into the ground. There's McLean's. There he is with Chief Teresa Spence. I forget the park that she was in in Ottawa. But again, this goes over to the point that actually that buffoon was making himself, that some occupations and protests are fine and some mm -hmm. aren't, and we're not allowed to have them, but he is. Yeah. You know, it's funny, as Ava was saying a moment ago, um, it's like we're watching two different movies. I mean, the, the regime yeah. media, who we learned through this trucker inquiry, were being managed on a daily basis by the government. Um, oh, I'll, I'll talk to this reporter. She's really receptive. I'll talk to that reporter. Like, you, we need to get this reporter to use the word neo-Nazi. Like, you, you, could see the, you could see the orchestration of it. As I said, if there was a real national emergency, you wouldn't need to spin the media on it. For the FLQ crisis, which I acknowledge was an emergency 50-odd years ago, they were blowing up, they were, they were detonating bombs. They were yep. kidnapping people. They were, they were murdering. There was murder. Murder, kidnapping. Yep. Um, there, there really was, the FLQ really was connected to Cuba. Like there was a foreign meddler. It was trying to cause a literal insurrection in the province of Quebec to destroy the sovereignty of the Canadian government. There actually was. Um, now, sure. I think that the deployment of martial law was overbroad, overlong. Uh, Trudeau Sr., his RCMP took advantage, arrested hundreds of people who had nothing to do with it other than they were political enemies of Pierre Trudeau. Uh, the RCMP famously burned down barns of Trudeau's political opponents in Quebec. So even back then, the martial law was absolutely abused by Pierre Trudeau. And I'm sure that's how Justin Trudeau learned, that you can really get away with anything as long as you don't blink. Just don't blink. Just have your confidence, and the other side will huff and puff, and you got a house of bricks. They won't blow it down. I think Justin Trudeau learned from Pierre Trudeau that you can violate civil liberties and call yourself a liberal, and the media won't care. If they didn't care 52 years ago, when the only government media was the CBC, they're certainly not going to care today when all the media is on the government payroll. Well, and that is the reason the Emergencies Act was re rewritten from being the War Measures Act is because there was an acknowledgement that it was overbroad. It was used to attack political enemies instead of enemies of the state. And yet still, even after all that, even after that law had to be rewritten by the actions of his father, Justin Trudeau comes along and abuses the Emergencies Act against his peaceful opponents. And, uh, you know, the, the idea that these people were even remotely insurrectionists. As Keith Wilson, lawyer for the convoy, pointed out, it's a hell of an insurrection when they don't even break a window hmm. on the way out. You know, not even a window was broken in Ottawa. When every time that the convoy was met with violence at the hands of the state, and that's one thing Eva pointed out, and I thought it was very, very poignant, in her closing statement, where she said, at every opportunity, the government chose state force, state violence instead of engagement. And that was an active choice every step of the way. But every time the government chose force, 
the convoy didn't choose force. Right. When they were beaten with clubs, they never reacted. And every step of the way, the cops in the city of Ottawa and Akuts were overwhelmed. Yeah. If those truckers and convoyers wanted to take the city of Ottawa, it was full of angry, useful people, and they could have done it, but they yeah. never did. We saw how they peacefully ran off the RCMP in Coots. Yeah. They sang to them and they ran away. Yeah. These were not violent insurrectionists. Yeah. And shame on the regime media for painting that them that way without a shred of evidence to the contrary. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, I, w I was down there on Parliament Hill and the center block of Parliament, that's the that's the most famous one with the big peace tower that's right on the lawn. Um, it was under renovations and there was sort of a, an eight foot high wooden fence, the kind of thing you see around a construction site. Sure. Um, no one even touched it. Like you could have pushed that fence over and broken through and stormed into the building, I presume, if you tried. If you had a thousand people, if you had a hundred people, maybe if you had 20 people who were dedicated, but no one even touched the wooden wall. They didn't even touch right. it. Right. And, and these are the kind of people who do things with their back and their hands for a living. They could take down a wall. Like yeah. That. Like it's, it, when I say wall, it was just like, you, you know, around a construction yeah. site, they put up a, yeah. a fence with, you know, some two by fours sure. and some plywood. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't yeah. a riot wall. It was a don't step here because you can get hurt. It's a construction zone wall. Right. No one even touched that wall. So the yeah. idea that they, they were like, I saw pictures of Ray Epps, the FBI informant, whipping up people to storm into Congress. And, you know, uh, as a conservative and a pro-Trump conservative, I acknowledge that they did enter into the actual buildings of Congress. I also know that the police opened the doors and welcomed them in. And yeah. uh, there was a lot of funny business. But I, I cannot dispute that they physically went into the Congress itself. They never even entered a building in Ottawa. They never even tried to. Like like you say, there was no window that was sp smashed. There was no unlocked door that was open. Nothing. They were content to be in their trucks and on the street. Well, Sheila, I'm so glad you, you helped us uh, anchor our coverage on this for the past month. I appreciate that. And you spent some of the time in Ottawa, but you, like I say, this was a very citizen-friendly project. Last question to you. What was, what was your impression of the Airbnb pop-up studio? Because we crowdfunded that. We haven't received the final bill yet. So for those who want to help out, not just for the Airbnb, cost us about 15 grand for the Airbnb. And then we were constantly flying journalists in to the Airbnb from, uh, they, they usually drive from Toronto, but we flew in some folks from Calgary and elsewhere. So our, our total bill, I haven't seen it yet. It wouldn't surprise me if our total bill for that pop-up studio for the month was $30,000. So we, we made a big investment in it. What was, how was it? I mean, just being in that house with the pop-up studio and the guys, I, it, it had a tiny bit of a fraternity feeling, not in, that it was yeah. parties, but you got a bunch of guys away from home, having fun, working together. Um, what was it like when you were there? I thought it was great. Um, you know, it, it, it's modest. It's very modest. That's how we roll around here. But, you know, it was great to have a fixed location where we could bring the lawyers to help us analyze right. what happened that day. And it was someplace warm instead of working out on the street, which is new for our team that right. works in Ottawa. <laughs> right. um, so that was great. But it was also, as you say, a place where, you know, it was collegial. You know, you're working late. You're leaving early. When I was there, Celine and I were out of the Airbnb like before eight. Um, but it was a place where you could save some money, grab a coffee. You know, if you're working late, there was a little bit of food in the fridge um, instead of having to constantly eat out. So I think it was 
it was a great way to help our team feel a little bit like they were at home while they were gone for so long. Yeah, you know, I was there in in, in January, February. It was so bitter cold. Part of mm-hmm. my thinking was, I don't know how cold it's going to be. It wasn't that bad. But just to get out of the cold, just to warm your hands and feet up a bit. Uh, and, and of course, batteries, cell phone batteries and camera mm-hmm. batteries don't work as well when it's minus 20. So luckily, it wasn't that brutal. But boy, I wish we had that Airbnb back during the convoy itself. Well, Sheila, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks for uh, participating so uh, deeply in the project over the last month. We're going to take a very quick commercial break, and then we're going to come back with Celine Glass, who started her work with Rebel News in the convoy. She was embedded in the convoy as it made its way from Calgary to Ottawa, and she's been in Ottawa for weeks covering it there. When we come back, we'll talk to Celine Glass. Oh, hey, guys. Have you checked out our Rebel News store lately? You really should, because we're always adding fun things into the store. As the news changes, I guess so does the merchandise. We've got something for everybody. We've got a great selection of pro trucker merchandise, like this excellent Hong Kong shirt right here that will surely drive all your liberal friends and relatives absolutely crazy, although I don't think the trip is all that far. But right now, in the store, this is my very favorite t-shirt, and I know t-shirts. Free Tamara in support of convoy leader Tamara Leach as she is treated like a common terrorist by Justin Trudeau's government for her role in the peaceful weeks-long street party against COVID mandates in Ottawa. I've got great news though if you can't decide which shirt is your favorite because right now at rebelnewsstore.com you can use the coupon code FALL, F-A-L-L, and buy two t-shirts and get 25% off. And as always, shipping is free. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com, pick your two favorite t-shirts and save 25%. Thanks. And remember, free Tamara. We started off this convoy calling it taking back our freedoms. But our freedoms are nobody's to take away. So we're gonna restore everybody's freedoms. People came here wanting to only do a day, and uh, the word with all the truckers is they're now staying for many days. You know, like a lot of people now are planning on days and days in Ottawa. So, we are here to end the mandate. I am not leaving until we get what we want. We're not going to give up. I'm on lunch. I could be on lunch a long, long time. Well, very exciting. I tell you, the trucker convoy was what finally broke the fever of the lockdowns in this country, broke the groupthink, showed that not everyone was being compliant. And Celine Glass was there from the beginning. Celine, great to see you again. You're back in Alberta, but you spent a lot of time in our pop-up studio. That's what I'm calling it, in Ottawa. Just uh, It was very close to the to the hearing. Like It really was like a three-minute walk or something. Mm-hmm. I think that really made it useful so you didn't have to take an uber you didn't have to take a cab and it wasn't brutally cold so i I thought it was really convenient it was also convenient the other way around for lawyers and others and witnesses from the commission of inquiry just to walk to our little airbnb i thought it worked out pretty well 
Yeah, I did too. I think it was fantastic. Yeah, the the back and forth commute was super short, um, especially for those early days getting to the commission. And as you said, it made it very convenient. Uh, a lot of the lawyers that we had with the, the Freedom Corp organizers, um, as well as, I guess, um, yeah, we had like Andrew Lawton on there too. So mm -hmm. any of our friends that we talked to, they were all really, really close to it, which worked out perfectly. So Yeah, and the fact that it was sort of obviously in, in the kitchen, I don't think anyone minds. I mean, everyone has conversations in the <laughs> kitchen. I thought it, I had a homemade kind of feel to it. Uh, so how long were you there all together? Um, I believe I was there for 22 days straight. 22 wow, or 23 great. days, yeah. I don't know if you had a chance to see any of the city, uh, while you were out there, I mean, that that commi commission was pretty intense. It, it worked some weekend days, too, didn't it? Oh, it did for sure. And it's also post-production as well, right? So wrapping up those reports, making sure that we're planned for the week ahead, the daily content, et cetera. So, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't a lot uh, of downtime. And I, by the way, I give the judge some credit. Everyone's piling on him. He he had a, a very difficult job. Imagine herding all those cats. Everyone has their own lawyer. Everyone's, a, you know, and all under a very intense time pressure. From what I saw, I mean, I didn't watch it as intensely as you did, but from what I saw, I'm going to give the judge certainly the benefit of the doubt. I mean, um, I thought he he certainly tried to, to be even-handed. That's how I felt. I know there were some moments that it didn't quite seem that way. Uh, I want to play for you just a couple of clips and get your reaction um, here's a funny one. I know you're from Alberta like I am originally. Clip number five. You know, Jason Kenney, who used to be a really close friend of mine and used to be the, one of the leading freedom politicians in this country, he, he really fell down on this one. And um, he started talking like Trudeau. You know, he was calling the truckers crazies or conspiracy theorists. He was using Trudeau's Ottawa language in Alberta. It just sounded not just hollow. It sounded like a kind of mutiny against Albertans. It was sort of crazy. Clip number five, that is. I think I made a misspoke. Clip number five um, has Kenny uh, reportedly describing the Alberta truckers, many of whom I've met, and they're the most straight-up guys you'll ever see. Play clip five. I'd like your reaction to this, Lee. Oldened or digging in uh, to their... Uh, illegal behaviors and that enforcement of public order uh, is actually a threat. And this is actually something that uh, Jason Kenney brought up uh, at the FMM, uh, highlighting that these are not rational actors. There are conspiracy theories. And he was concerned, as we were, that the invocation of the Emergencies Act uh, could uh, have people who are irrational overreact, but at the same time, um, we had to balance that risk against the risk that uh, people who uh, were already starting to get fed up and engage in, in counter-protests uh, would start taking more and more into their own hands, which was a greater risk, I think. You know, uh, Jason Kenney had decided that these people were the bad guys, and, uh, and I'm sure he, he believed that. I think he was surrounded uh, with people who were sort of in a bunker mentality at that point. Mm -hmm. He wasn't getting outside opinions. It was like the palace guard uh, in, you know, cut off from the world. And they were probably relying on official. I don't know. I just, I just thought it was a, uh, it was sad to see a freedom fighter like Jason Kenney become really Trudeau's man in Canada. What do you think? 
I totally agree with you. I think it's always really harsh. Um, it's a harsh reality to come to when you see that there's somebody that has the potential to really stand up for people that like has those traits in the beginning. Um, it was like the first time when, when we saw on video that he, you know, denounced the vaccine passport and he didn't even know what it was allegedly. And then, you know, what happened in Alberta, the same as everywhere else in Canada. So I think that he could have been our greatest opportunity looking back to have a different reality when it came to how the, the Albertan government um, handled the lockdown restrictions and mandates. But gosh, listening to Trudeau again, I, <laughs> I'm not fully out of the Ottawa mindscape. I feel like I have hives after listening to Trudeau talk again, but uh, it's harsh. Yeah. It's really harsh. And, and I kind of think, I mean, Trudeau is kind of just throwing him under the bus as well. <laughs> like I kind of feel bad, you know, like just, I, I know that he touched on a lot of other people's testimonies, but I, I dare say, I don't think that it was as brutal or harsh as that. And regardless of what Jason Kenney did, it's probably because Trudeau knows he's, he's from Alberta. Yeah. So why not? Right. Just salt to wound a little bit of extra pain. Hmm. Alberta could have been the Florida of Canada could have been, especially since mm -hmm. healthcare is so um, clearly a provincial jurisdiction under the Canadian constitution, section 92, it really is up to Alberta. And for whatever reason, and I think it's because Jason Kenney always had his eye on returning to Ottawa as prime minister. So he didn't want to be mm -hmm. too province oriented, too. He didn't, he was worried that in the future that would make him look too small time and too partisan and not national in grandeur enough. And he mm -hmm. missed the opportunity. Well, listen, Celine, it's great to see you. Thanks again for uh, serving such a big tour of duty away from home. We're going to play a very quick ad. And when we come back, we'll have your colleague, our Montreal based reporter, Alexa Lavoie. So, Celine, we'll say thanks now and we'll sign off. And folks, don't go away because after this ad, we'll have Alexa. Have you checked out the Rebel News store lately? We're always adding new stuff. And just in time for Christmas, we've added some very fun trucker Christmas stuff. I cannot wait to get some for myself, but also for my family. And actually, I can get the shirt I want for myself for free. And so can you with our new coupon code. The coupon code is CHRISTMAS. And if you buy two unisex shirts, you get the third one for yourself for free. Just go to revelnewsstore.com, coupon code CHRISTMAS to buy two shirts and get your third one free. Hey guys, have you checked out our Rebel News store lately? You really should because we're always adding fun things into the store. As the news changes, I guess so does the merchandise. We've got something for everybody. We've got a great selection of pro trucker merchandise, like this excellent Hong Kong shirt right here that will surely drive all your liberal friends and relatives absolutely crazy, although I don't think the trip is all that far. But right now, in the store, this is my very favorite t-shirt and I know t-shirts. Free Tamara in support of convoy leader Tamara Leach as she is treated like a common terrorist by Justin Trudeau's government for her role in the peaceful weeks long street party against COVID mandates in Ottawa. I've got great news though, if you can't decide which shirt is your favorite because right now at rebelnewsstore.com, you can use the coupon code FALL, F-A-L-L, and buy two t-shirts and get 25% off. And as always, shipping is free. So head on over to rebelnewsstore.com, pick your two favorite t-shirts and save 25%. Thanks, and remember, free Tamara. Well, 
Tamara Leach is certainly on my mind as she is not anywhere near done her entanglement with the law. She's been charged with inciting mischief, which is really the most minor offense to be found in the criminal code. It's the kind of thing that, you know, if you vandalize a sign, you're, you know, you're, there's no time in custody. There's likely no criminal record. You're just told to paint the sign, um, get rid of the graffiti and apologize to the owner. That's what attempt incitement to mischief is. The fact that she served nearly 50 days in prison is outrageous. But she's not the only victim of overweening police. Alexa Lavoie joins us now. Alexa, great to see you. And you were on my mind during the commission of inquiry because for all the talk of the potential violence of the truckers, there was no violence from the truckers. There, there was no shooting. There was no smashing. There was no rioting. But there was a person who was shot. And it was you. You were shot with a riot gun. You were hit by riot police. And so the violence came from the government side. And as you know, we're suing the government. People who don't know what I'm referring to can go to standwithalexa.com. In fact, I just want to show a brief clip of that. And I'm sorry, you probably hate to see it. And I hate to look at it. But we can't forget it. We can't let it be swept under the rug. We can't let Trudeau gaslight us, if you know what I mean. Here's a clip of that terrible moment, and I'll come back and I'll share some quick thoughts with people, and then I'll bring you in, Alexis. Great to see you. Here's here's a clip of that terrible day, and I'm sorry to show this because it was a an atrocity that was done to you, but people have to see it. Take a look. Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! Watch out! What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Hold him! Stop! Stop! Just atrocious. You were shot, you were hit, and you were shot with a kind of anti riot weapon in your leg at point blank range. I'm very sorry that happened to you. As you know, we're suing the police, and we've discovered that the police knew who you were. We discovered from the police notes they knew who you were, they knew your name. And one other thing we discovered is that the police that day were helping a lot of people with medical issues, people, a heart attack someone who slipped and fell, someone who had hypothermia. Police shot you. They obviously knew that they shot you. And they did not offer you any help, did they? No, no. So I, I collapsed just like a couple of minutes after. And uh, no one came to me. Only protester came. A former nurse who lost her job actually took care of me. And uh, I remember another man that was there. They washed my face with water because I was full of, um, I think it was 
cayenne paper or something that was burning my face and and my body and my skin. And I remember I had it in my mouth and my eyes. And it's why I was like crying as much, but I saw because I was hurt. Um, but thanks to these two and all beautiful people who actually helped me out because probably without them, I would be like in the snow um, alone. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I have to say that in the nearly eight years of Rebel News being a company, that was the worst moment in our entire company's history. That was the worst thing that ever happened to us, the worst thing anyone had ever done to us. David Menzies was roughed up pretty badly by Trudeau's bodyguards a few months earlier, but to actually be shot and beaten, and for the police, they knew, the reason I say they knew who you were is because we have, we're suing them, and in the course of that lawsuit, we have received their, their notes, and they knew exactly who you were, and there were thousands of people protesters, journalists, observers in the streets. And there were thousands of police. And the coincidence that you were the only one shot, I do not believe that's a coincidence. Like I say, they knew who you were. And then once they committed the atrocity of shooting you, they committed a second atrocity of literally not helping. Like I said, they helped other people all day. We see that in their notes. But they refused to help you. And we are seeking justice for people who want to be involved in that. They can go to standwithalexa.com. I'm sorry to mention that. It's just been on my mind, especially since clip number six. Alexa, I'd like your reaction to this. This is a clip of Trudeau saying he had to invoke martial law because what if some little old lady got hurt? And all I could think about was the police horses stomping on that little old lady and the police roughing up that short old man, and the police shooting you, and Trudeau's making it like he was the one standing against violence. All the violence in Ottawa came from the government. All the violence came from them. Here, take a look at this clip of Trudeau. When there's a national emergency and serious threats of violence to Canadians, and you have a tool that you should use, how would I explain it to the family of a police officer who was killed or a, a, a grandmother who got run over stopping, trying to stop a truck or, uh, or a, a protester who was killed uh, if I hadn't used the tools, if uh, one of the protesters, uh, one of the occupiers had been, uh, had been killed uh, in uh, a violent clash with someone else? Um, getting this situation under control and protecting the safety of all Canadians is a priority. What a sociopathic liar. There were no serious threats of violence. We know that because none were made and all the police forces confirm that. The threats of someone being killed, how would that possibly happen if the only violence came from the government? Uh, a grandmother trying to stop a truck from running over her. I don't even understand that weird hypothetical situation. How about a grandmother being stomped on by an RCMP horse for no reason at all? Just absolutely outrageous. How did it feel when you saw that prince of lies take the witness stand? Well, first of all, use uh, speculation for make the situation worse than it was. Mm -hmm. Just trying to create in the mind of people like that. Maybe this will have happened if I uh, didn't have like invoked the emergencies act. But the only thing that I was thinking when he was talking is like, can this Sarah was in this 
the, the audience watching him saying that in her face when she was trampled by a horse and the SIU dropped the case again on her because her injury was not enough severe to continue the investigation on her. The SIU, I that's a kind really of internal sorry. affairs. That's that's the special investigations unit. Whenever police are violent against someone, they come and investigate. You're saying the SIU mm -hmm. dropped the case against the police who stomped on her because her injuries weren't that bad. That's what you just said Thanks. there, right? Outrageous. Sorry I interrupted you. I just want to explain to people what <laughs> SIU was. Keep going, Alexa. So I, I had a, a talk and I have like a, a, a interview with her that's coming up on on how she had been so far, and I saw her. She was she she was crying about like she she's still hurt. She's hurt by also what the government did, and uh, she lost a lot of faith. And uh, it was really sad to see uh, this and the hypocrisy of Justin Trudeau's testimony uh, all day long. But I was also surprised that usually, you know, it takes so much time to answer the question. But I was surprised how fast he was answering the question that day and uh, that he answered actually really mostly truthful for some of the question. Huh. I think, I think... Um, what was irritating to me was he showed what was in his mind. His, his, you could sum up every one of his answers was, I think very low. I have a low opinion of Canadians. I'm afraid of Canadians. I'm scared of them. And I thought it was best to be as, as uh, firm as possible with them. So when he says, I was afraid of a, a grandmother being driven over by a truck, that's an absurd thing to say. So is that true or false? Well, I think if it's true, it shows what he thinks of us. It shows what mm -hmm. he thinks of the peaceful protesters, um, violent and, protesters and fighting with each other. <laughs> there, there was no violence amongst the protesters, but but he thinks, oh, they're they're truck drivers. Of course, they're violent. They're just a <laughs> bunch of drunk yobs. And 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 especially when he said, "I never called him vaccinated names." Yeah, and I was I. This is such a lie because we have so much proof of so many excerpts of video where we saw him calling unvaccinated names. Yeah. What? Well, <laughs> should we tolerate them? They're racist, misogynist, the things yeah. he said. Well, Alexa, thank yeah. you for covering this. And I'm so <laughs> glad. And again, uh, you really shined during the convoy itself, especially you allowed us to talk to the Quebec truckers, because of course, Ottawa is just across the river from Quebec. So there were a lot of Quebec truckers there and some of them didn't speak English. So you were able to talk with them. And it was very encouraging for me as a English Canadian, originally from the West, to see that Quebec truckers, French speaking truckers were, they cared about freedom too. I really was grateful for that. So thank you not only for your coverage during the last month of the trucker commission, but for your original work with the trucker convoy itself. Great to see you, my friend. Great to see you too. Thank you. All right, there you have it. Alexa Lavoie, who suffered greatly at the hands of Trudeau's riot police. And we stand with her. And as you know, we are seeking justice in the courts for her. Well, this wraps up our recap of the last month's um, trucker commissioning of inquiry. I should tell you that while the public uh, judicial hearings 
are over. There will be no more witnesses in the form there has been. There will be another phase of the Commission of Inquiry where they have sort of a public policy submissions uh, section. I'm not as familiar with it as I should be and as I will be. But uh, just because the court-style inquiry is done, they are not yet done. There will be more work, and we'll cover that as it goes forward. Thanks again to everyone behind the scenes who put... Sorry, what's that? We have a few super chats I hear in my ear. Let me make sure I read those out. I'm going to find those on my bat phone here. Um, and those are in live stream, are they? Okay, I've got them in a number of formats. Everyone wants to make sure I don't miss them. Our friend Fraser McBurney, who I had the pleasure of having dinner with a couple months ago, says, Ezra and all the crew of Rebel News, I want to congratulate you on the fine work you did to bring the world the truth. Let's hope the commissioner brings the right verdict. Yeah, well, I'm I'm optimistic. Maybe that means I'm a fool. Construction cronies, 10 bucks. Woohoo, came here from YouTube. Glad we can donate here. Hope Elon fixes YouTube next. Well, I hope. YouTube feels the need to become more free to compete with uh, Twitter. Or is he of five bucks? Did you notice his distraction after Ava talked about testimony of harm to regular people? He asked to, for repetition, appeared to have lost focus. Yeah. Well, thank you for those super chats. Uh, and that is a source of income for us. As you know, we've been demonetized by YouTube, but we fight on with the strength of your support. If you want to help us in other ways, you can also go to truckercommission.com. That way you can help us pay for the Airbnb and the travel. I haven't received the final bill for that. It wouldn't surprise me. It's around $30,000, which sounds enormous. But between the travel and the accommodation and the food and the gear, that's just how it is. That's our show for today. Until next time, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, goodbye. And keep fighting for freedom. So are you drawing a distinction there between, okay, the premiers may say it's under control here, but that doesn't mean it's under control everywhere. So they would have had to come to you with something that would have solved the big problem as you saw it. Is that? Um, I think there just would have been a sense that, that the measures I was proposing weren't going to be useful or effective. And, what I heard on the contrary uh, was uh, concerns that we'd shared that this might inflame the protesters to declare a public order emergency and bring in martial law, um, which was one of the concerns, or that they, we, they would interpret it as that. Of course, it wasn't martial law, and it did not suspend people's fundamental rights and freedoms.